Support for this podcast is provided by Avalara. Since 2004, Avalara has sought to harness the power of cloud technology to simplify sales tax for businesses of all sizes. Avalara solutions are designed to affordably scale with businesses as they grow over time. Collecting tax for the government is something businesses just have to do. But getting the job done efficiently and correctly can be an incredible challenge because tax rules and regulations are endlessly complicated. Did you know that in Texas, there's a sales tax on deodorant, but there isn't a sales tax on antiperspirant? Avalara knows that. Their technology is designed to help you manage tax so you can reclaim your valuable time and reduce risk in your business. Avalara automatically integrates with more than 700 ERP, e-commerce, mobile payment, and point-of-sale systems, likely the systems you use today. Find out how your business can be sales tax ready at avalara.com slash tax notes. That's avalara.com slash tax notes. Avalara, tax compliance done right. Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Happy holidays from Tax Notes. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. Well, it's been a unique year, and that's probably the nicest thing I can say about it. So as we show 2020 the door, we're going to continue our annual tradition by ending the year with a few short tax stories that may be a little odd or otherwise don't work as a full episode. As our gift to you this holiday season, here's our year-end collection, 2020. Joining me now is Tax Notes reporter Carolina Vargas. Carolina, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, I understand you have a couple of stories about some of the more unexpected results of the coronavirus. Can you tell me what happened in Salem, Massachusetts this year? So Salem, best known for its 1692 witch trials, canceled all the major events this year. Hotel and motel tax revenues were down 55% and meals tax revenues were down 35% in the first quarter for fiscal year 2021. Normally, the city gets around 500,000 visitors, and it's usually very important for the local economy. They usually hire a lot of people during this time, but all these large-scale events had to be scaled back. I suppose it would be wrong to call this their worst year ever, but maybe it's second? That sounds about right. So how did ping pong make news in Colorado? So in Colorado, May actually started with the first month of sports betting. That happened to be a time where there was a lot of shutdown for most major sporting events. So ping pong actually was one of the big revenue raisers for online sports betting. I guess people will always find something to bet on. They definitely did. They raised $6.59 million in online sports betting that month. So was ping pong the only game in town or were there other things to bet on? There were definitely a few other sports that people could bet on, including mixed martial arts, tennis and darts. Uh, Would that be full size tennis? (laughs) Yes, it would. All right. So full size tennis, mixed martial arts and darts. So that's quite a collection. Yes, it is. I would have to say that ping pong does seem to be the perfect sport for a pandemic. It's already socially distanced. That is true. You got to keep apart. Well, this has been great. Carolina, thank you for being here. Glad to be here. And joining me now is Tax Notes legal reporter Nathan Richmond. Nate, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Dave. So I understand you have another interesting tax story for me this year. Don't I always. Uh, that's what we count on you for. So this year... We've got these brothers, Larry and Jack Lewis. Larry, when he's getting ready to found a company with a man named U. Roland Lee, this company will facilitate international transactions. But Larry has an issue. He owes the IRS a lot of money, and he would rather not pay it from the growth anticipated in this company, which he's going to own 86% of. 
So he and Jack combine their heads and supposedly they make the decision that Jack is going to hold these assets for Larry, for which he's going to get 10% of the proceeds. The rest will go to Larry. This seems, oh, great. Yeah, we're going to use Jack as a nominee and the IRS won't notice and we'll get away with all this money, except that Jack decides. That seems like it might be uh, not the best plan. And it goes bad in way more ways than they thought, because Jack decides he'd rather have 100% than 10, and so he just takes it. The operating agreement for this company's already in his name. Hey, it says Jack owns 86%. I own 86%. All right, yeah, come and get it. Larry and Lee decide they would like to undo this tax fraud so that they can have the company in Larry's hands, and they sue Jack. So I guess the decision there is, I'd rather have 70% of what I was going to have before than uh, zero. And they sue, and their complaint says Larry was trying to commit tax fraud. He'd like this back. And so Larry and Lee move for summary judgment. The judge says, unclean hands. No, I don't want anything to do with this. Go away. At which point Jack says, ooh, I won. Please give me a temporary restraining order on all the related bank accounts. To which the judge replies, was I not clear the first time? Unclean hands. Go away. Unless, of course, you can prove you weren't actually part of the fraud. The only one the judge really seems sympathetic for is when the IRS intervenes and says, hmm, it sounds like there's an asset here that we have an interest in. Please put that lien on it. The judge says, oh, yeah, sure. Clean hands there. Fun will be when IRS criminal investigation might also have an interest in these two brothers. Well, I guess in the meantime, I'm assuming that there will be a rather awkward family get-together around the holidays. Well, Zoom might be useful for something. Well, all right, Nate, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Support for this podcast is provided by the University of California, Irvine School of Law Graduate Tax Program. If you're hearing this, you're clearly interested in taxes, and you might benefit from checking out our sponsor, or you might know someone who will. The UC Irvine Law School offers a one-year, full-time program that's been ranked the number one graduate tax program on the West Coast. Students can expect a unique academic experience that combines in-depth doctrinal work and practical perspective to prepare students for successful careers in tax law. The small student-to-faculty ratio also ensures that students get the attention they need to succeed. Applications are open now. For non-U.S. applications, the deadline is April 1st, 2021. For U.S.-based students, the deadline is July 1st. To apply today, visit law.uci.edu slash gradtax. That's law.uci.edu slash gradtax. And joining me now is Tax Notes legal reporter William Hoke. Bill, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I understand you have an unusual story about paying taxes. I do. It's something that came out of Mexico, where the Mexican government has a program which has been in effect unofficially since 1957 and officially when it was codified in 1975, I think it was, to allow artists to pay their taxes by donating art that will then be shown permanently, I guess, in museums or in government offices. I guess that raises a lot of questions about what is art, and I suppose this story kind of gets into that question. It does, yes. I guess it's sort of appropriate, because this deals with art that's created through artificial intelligence, and art is the first syllable of artificial, so maybe that's where these guys got this idea. The people who did this, one is an architect, a Mexican, The other is a British artist, I guess, who lives in China, which made communications a little bit difficult. 
I don't know what the connection is, why he's in China and he's doing art for Mexico, whatever. Somehow they collaborated on this thing. And what they did was they used what's called a generative adversarial network or GAN, G-A-N. And what that does is it pits a generator model within this artificial intelligence and against a discriminator model that tries to determine whether the examples that are created by the generator model are either real or fake. I'm just taking this from some explanation because I had a hard time wrapping my head around. We'll hope that computer scientists know what those all mean. You know, if we have any computer scientists who follow tax news, we'll probably be getting some kind of letters to the podcast editor because I'm going to butcher this, I'm sure. Yeah, luckily you're not on Twitter, so this should be safe. Go ahead. (laughs) All right, great. One quote I read about it is the two models are trained together in a zero-sum adversarial game until the discriminator model is fooled about half the time, meaning the generator model is generating plausible examples. So these guys fed it all into the program, and we could talk in a bit about what they fed into the program because that was intriguing. And they just let it work away until I guess it reached this threshold where the, the discriminator model is fooled half the time. And voila, some image came out. So that sounds like how all art is created, right? Uh, I am the least culturally attuned person to be writing an article about this, but it seemed interesting to me. So did the artist create this discriminator model? Did they create this program? No, they didn't. This is another thing that surprised me. They just used open source software. They found it out there as one of the two. This was Kellen Bricker, the UK citizen. He said, we didn't even modify it. We have no control over the results. It begs the question whether there can be art with no human artists behind it. But they said, Bricker and his colleague Arturo Muela, said that they decided to work with a third artist. The third artist being an artificial intelligence neural network create the images. And what they did was they took text from two different prominent people, one being Andrew Yang, who's a U.S. entrepreneur and a former Democratic presidential candidate in the last cycle who didn't get very far, and also Elon Musk, the CEO of SpaceX and Tesla. Both of them indirectly have some kind of tax connection. Yang advocated for adoption of a VAT to fund a universal basic income scheme. Elon Musk also said that a universal basic income scheme will at some point in the future be needed. But it's also interesting that in doing this, here we have images that are being created for Mexican tax purposes. And I guess they felt, even though the people that were the subject of the quotes that they fed into this artificial intelligence program were speaking presumably in English, they translated it least what Musk said into Spanish before running it through the artificial intelligence program. So I don't know if there was something lost in translation there, (laughs) but the images are obviously abstract and they're interesting. Obviously on a webcast, we can't show that, but you can go to the article and you find it there. Yeah, we will be providing a link in the show notes and I'm not an art critic, but this doesn't speak to me. Uh, I was scratching my head as well. One of them I guess it was both. They put out a press notice when they first announced the results, and that's how I learned about this. They said that the process of developing the art and getting it approved for tax purposes raised questions about automation, the idea of non-human entities paying tax, and the status of AI and creativity. And so part of what they said there, it chimed with things I've written before, because I've written a major article a couple years ago, maybe three now, about taxation of the Internet of Things. 
And then about a year and a half ago, maybe this whole issue of machines, people worried about them taking over the world and there won't be anybody left to pay taxes. So will the machines have to pay tax? Will the robots? So I'd written an article called Taxing Automatons. And again, so that just sort of jived with what this whole thing was about. All right. So we've got two artists and an artificial intelligence taking the text from someone else, putting it into the system and generating an image. How does one value this contribution as a tax payment? Oh, well, of course. You use a cryptocurrency. <laughs> what else would you use? <laughs> so it seems as if they develop seven images and each one they decided to value. And apparently the Mexican tax authorities accepted at one seventh of a Bitcoin. So when I talked to them, a Bitcoin was worth $15,600. So that would have meant each image was $2,225. Of course, now a Bitcoin is worth $18,100. So the value just fluctuates all over the place. But at that time, that's how they decided. Are these artists planning on doing more of these works? I'm not sure. I asked them that. In fact, to me, it's almost like this thing where you get a lithographer or a painter doing an image and then having a limited edition, like 100 copies of it. It just seems like you could do an infinite number, but the value is determined artificially by the scarcity that you decide will govern this work of art. So I don't know if they're going to be doing it in the future. I had hoped, even though the images that they created and we uh, included in our article were indirectly tax related, I asked them to do some images that were really much more directly connected with taxes by taking some of the most famous quotes in the history of taxation, like the power to tax, the power to destroy. I like to pay taxes. With them, I buy civilization. And taxation without representation is tyranny. Now, I thought a lot of our readers would be interesting to see what comes out. Some of those comments are obviously at odds with each other. But they declined, saying that they wanted to maintain the integrity of the artwork series. So all they would have had to have done was to put those quotes into their program. And he said it normally takes a couple of hours for the discriminator and the generator models to do their little battle against each other and then something would crank out, but they declined. It is a fascinating little story. And now I'll say that as visual artworks, these don't speak to me, but as a piece of performative art where they're using this process to pay their taxes, I can get on board with that. Yeah, if, if the U.S. would do that, I'd get my crayons out. Well, Bill, this has been great. Thank you for being here. <laughs> okay, you're welcome. And with the year coming to a close, I'd like to thank our producer, Paige Jones, engineers Derek Squires and Jordan Parrish, Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief Faye McRae, Assistant Acquisitions Editor Nicole Wilder, Executive Editor for Commentary Jasper Smith, as well as all the reporters and contributors who make this show possible. And thank you to all the listeners out there who make this whole endeavor worthwhile. Happy holidays, stay healthy, and we'll see you next year. Now, coming attractions. Each week we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now from her home is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief, Faye McRae. Faye, what will you have for us? Thank you, Dave. We're going to take a break from the usual this week to discuss writing for tax notes. We've received quite a few inquiries about how to publish in our pages. So we'll be sharing some insider tips on how to join the ranks of our esteemed authors here at Tax Notes. Each week, we'll feature an interview with the top commentary editors of Tax Notes Federal, State, and International. This week, I chatted with Tax Notes State Editor-in-Chief Jean Rauschander. Jean, why don't you tell us how you came to Tax Analysts? 
I was a manager at PwC and heard some fantastic things about tax analysts. And I made the move and have been here for six years. Very nice. Now, one of the things the commentary team here at Tax Analysts always gets asked is, what should I write about? And the most obvious answer is current and buzzworthy topics. But is there anything else in particular you'd like to see authors tackle in the pages of Tax Note State? I have been looking for someone to write on environmental law, environmental tax issues primarily. I had someone for a little bit, Going Green is what the column was called. However, he's retired. You know, for state, we have several columns that perhaps may not impact all of our authors directly. We have a tribal tax column, but it still addresses important current issues. So I think that it's important in our rules to provide as much information on the platform as possible. So definitely looking for environmental and I'm looking for someone that will discuss some sports tax issues, sports law as well you know, with athletes and spending times in different states and so forth, that I think would be really well received. That's great. And you've been editor-in-chief for six years now. What is your most memorable experience in working with a particular author so far? Definitely when Peter Faber retired. I feel very fortunate that he still writes from time to time. He's busy enjoying retirement. But I feel very fortunate that he had a regular column with me for the last few years before he retired. And when he let me know he was retiring, we surprised him, of course, with a section in the magazine. And I just really wanted him to know the impact that he had on myself and the team and the community. And I think he did. But again, he still will write a letter and we've gotten an article here or there from him. And, and the trenches will always be open for him. But it was just a real joy. And, and I love to be able to, you know, if someone is retiring, I love to be able to essentially almost give them the farewell that I feel like they've, when they've, you know, contributed so much to us. And, and you know, it does take a lot to write. And, you know, they have full-time jobs and more than full-time jobs. And so it, it was definitely something special that I really wanted to give back. Absolutely. For a final question, why tax notes? There are so many places to publish today. Why should authors choose us? I honestly think that it is where you go to see what your colleagues think on an issue. We have the best in the field writing for us. You want to hear what they have to say. You want to hear how they're analyzing these issues and what the takeaways are and so that you can apply them with your clients. Thank you, Jen. You can learn more about writing for Tax Notes by visiting taxnotes.com backslash acquisitions. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Tax Analysts, for more in-depth discussions on what's new and noteworthy in our magazine. Again, that's Tax Analysts with an S. Back to you, Dave. That's it for this week. You can follow me online at taxdo, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at Tax Notes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com backslash products. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk.
Support for this podcast is provided by the DC Bar. The DC Bar is among the largest unified bars in the United States. Register now for its highly anticipated Tax Legislative and Regulatory Update Conference on January 13th and 14th, 2021. Engage in sessions on hot topics like legislative and regulatory updates, corporate, partnership, and individual taxation, tax-exempt reforms, international tax, tax planning, and compensation and benefit issues. Speakers include high-profile government officials from Treasury and the IRS, and staff of the House Ways and Means Committee, Senate Committee on Finance, and Joint Committee on Taxation, in addition to private sector experts. The conference is virtual and open to all, so you can attend from anywhere. DC Bar membership is not required to attend. Visit dcbar.org to register today. That's dcbar.org. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.